0: Today, we're talking with Jared Patel, Helix Hospitality. Jair is a bright young hotelier who's figured out how to do deals with some of the largest private equity players in our industry. Let's find out how he's doing this and why hospitality is in his DNA. JR, thank you for joining me. I appreciate you doing this today. Uh, I'm excited to talk because I-, I just think you're one of the great new guys in our industry. And sorry if I apologize up front for calling one of the little guys or, uh, but I think your story is so amazing. And I think so many people can relate, which is why I want to have you come on and talk to me today. So thanks, no, for,
1: thanks time. for having me on. I haven't been a little guy in a long time. So I, I <laughs> like to call that
0: sometimes. <laughs> ah, that, that, that was, I won't, your, your wife said that. So I won't repeat that. Um, uh, all right. So get into it. Listen, you've done an amazing job. And I know second generation, like a lot of us in the industry. So, and you've done an amazing job sort of going from, uh, zero to hero and from nothing to building a company. And you're not fully there yet as big as the other guys. You're still going, but I think it's nice to talk while it's fresh in the journey. So as I start, please, please, please tell me. I want the JR story, and I need to know how you got into this business and where second, we're going from here.
1: Second generation accidental hotelier. I, it just sounds terrible to say it, but um, I actually, my family was in the business in the early 90s. Uh, so I grew up in and around it worked all the jobs, filling vending machines and doing maintenance and cleaning rooms and um, had an opportunity to really step up and, and do some projects, some CapEx projects, get into leadership roles. Um, and it was a family business, sort of the side help hustle and graduated with a degree in finance in the middle of the GFC, useless. So I uh, quickly pivoted and said, I'm gonna go into m and get a law degree And uh, the family business really pulled me back in. So, decided to give that up and jump in head first and uh, never look back. You know, people always ask, Your mind mind works differently. Uh, Your problems solve a lot. What's your why didn't you ever go back? Why didn't you leave it? And then, had no interest. You know, there's a lot of beauty in what we do every single day and having that freedom. To put something together, to problem solve, to find a deal. And that's the essence of it.
0: You just hit on it and we're going to dive into this deeper. But yours, what I'm impressed with you the most is you, as a relative nobody, with all due respect, have yeah. figured out a way how to do deals and get deals done with the big guys. We have done a lot of deals together with Blackstone on one side and JR, who on the other side. So, how are you? That, that's probably my number one fundamental question. How are you able to? get those deals done when it, that's what everybody wants to be figuring out how to do. How have you been able to? So my, my, dad's,
1: my dad's office is about 20, 30 feet from mine, and he's going to smile here to ear when he hears this. But um, old school mentality, do what you say you're going to do. If you commit to doing a deal, do it at, and you commit to a price. Make sure you close. Make sure what you say you're going to do, what you commit to do. You know, it's a spoken word. If you say it, consider it done. Um, if there's an issue you run into in diligence or whatever it might be, Uh, figure it out. I mean, there's always a solution, but the mindset of I win, you lose with anybody doesn't work. And it especially doesn't work with the bigger players on the sell side Um, and having the resources and being a bit organized when you take over, when you're doing those transactions, I think it's going back to fundamentals, but just doing a good, clean, honest deal. Uh, and knowing what you're, what we're adding to the deal is going to far exceed in terms of how we operate or, or how we're acquiring, it's going to far exceed any small mistakes or blemishes along the way in a transaction. I think you have to look at the big picture.
0: So, uh, but honestly, JR, it's, a lot of people can say that. A lot of people do say that. It's an easy thing to say. It's a lot more difficult when the oops or the oh my gosh shows up in the middle of a deal. And from my perspective, the question is, who handles it, right? Do you just try and drop it on the lap and say, "Hey, seller, this is your problem, figure it out," or do you take it on yourself and figure it out?
1: I think it's a balance of both, but it's also having some dialogue and respectful dialogue. You know, not accusatory. We have this situation. Is there something we can do to find is there, to find some common ground? If there isn't, you know, then it's and we have hard money in the deal. Who can I cry to? Cry to? <laughs> I know what I signed up for. Um, it's part of it.
0: You're hard. You just hit on it. Sorry, but we all know maybe we don't. But if you want to do a deal with Blackstone, you get to, especially, sorry, when you're the little guy, but if you, even the big guys, you want to deal with Blackstone, you go hard day one at signing a contract. Absolutely. So it is your problem. You do get to, ha- to, to handle it. So what makes you comfortable to go hard, sign a contract day one? So There's a lot of attorneys that wouldn't let you do that.
1: You betcha. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I think it's knowing. So I would be more hesitant to do that with, to be very frank, with an owner operator than I would with an institutional seller. An owner operator has their hands and, and arms wrapped around that property um, and maybe more apt to um, sway you know, parts of the deal in, in one direction or in their favor than another. Or an institutional seller is simply, this is another widget in our portfolio. We need to rid it from our portfolio. So what you see is what you get. And if you walk through on your, I mean, we've done a lot of our deals with you guys, with institutional sellers and we're signing a PSA and our formal, our tour on the regular old tour date was our due diligence walk, we're done and there's not a lot of folks who'll do that but we're comfortable with the asset and we know that there's nothing there's there shouldn't be any real skeletons in the closet that we can not uh, uncover in standard diligence and we still carve those things out and if there's a title issue if there's an environmental issue those are of course subject to carve out of the of the hard money situation but what you see is what you get and you got to get comfortable with it if you don't get a gut feeling for the asset up front i mean you, you shouldn't have to mull it over it's a box condition, cash flow is what we're buying. We can change wallpaper and paint carpet all day. Bone's got to be good.
0: And sorry, I put words in your mouth, but you have the capital, right? The equity, you have yeah. the confidence that you're going to get the debt. Yeah. You're not asking the seller, oh, I need a financing contingency. Of course. Right? Yeah,
1: uh, we're sort of restructuring that up front. We're not writing a deal up and that's part of our growth strategy. It's always been, quality over quantity and slow and steady wins the race. I think patient capital has been our mindset and, you know, our back ends of family office. It's our own family office, patient capital deploying in all of our verticals has been, I think one of the biggest keys to our our success and our growth and our longevity. Um, And a lot of folks don't look at it that way. And I think that's why you you may have players who are right now who are sitting on hundreds of millions of dollars of cash, but are being outbid on an economy asset that they're not used to being. And it's not you can have all the cash in the world, but there may be somebody whose boots are closer on the ground uh, than theirs, and they're much more willing to tighten up their you know the perform or their projection because they can and others can't. And I think we're underwriting the deal. We're looking at the deal from an equity perspective. We're not writing it up unless it's in an account ready to be deployed. And from a debt perspective, we have our debt case put together to say this is what it is. Now this is what it can be under us. These are our you know, two other example properties in our portfolio, which we've done this with. I, I think it's a hard case to present to, uh, to anybody who's provided to any debt um, for them to look at and, and deny or to say it's not possible or these, these folks don't know what they're doing. And, and I think that's the confidence we go. I don't want to say you know arrogance, but there's a, a bit of confidence going into it to say, we've done it. Try me.
0: Um- Okay, so wait, so I got to get into numbers. How, how many hotels do we own now? 10, and we just put the 11th one under
1: contract today.
0: Congratulations. And that's in mm-hmm. how long? I mean, how wha, and how many years do you think we've been doing this?
1: Uh, about n- Formally about nine years. Uh, informally, about 30. Yeah, your whole know life. <laughs> yeah, we, we know the feeling. You know, with the family as well. I mean, the family's been in the industry about 30 years, so uh, we didn't really formalize it until uh, about you know, 9, 10 years ago.
0: So what is that? Buying one hotel a year, or we bought zero for five years and then we bought two for?
1: I would say average transactions, you know, two-ish a year. Some going in, some going out, selling one, buying two. Uh, we try to keep the pace somewhere around one to two a year. Uh, I think that's pretty easy for us. Uh, from an equity perspective, it's not a, not a huge taxing you know, position to be in. We're pretty pretty comfortable.
0: What was the first one? What was the first hotel?
1: That we still have. The oldest is country Inn and suites, Little Chute, Appleton, Wisconsin.
0: And and sorry, I should specify my questions. Is that the first hotel that dad, mom and dad had, or is that the first hotel that you came in and bought?
1: The first one that I came in and bought, yeah. um, distressed deal, the first family one was the best Western Montgomery Lodge, Montgomery, Alabama. And I, st- I can still picture that property. I still know where the rooms are. I know where the, 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 uh, Electronic valves are for the irrigation system. I know that property inside of out
0: Because you worked there. You oper- As a kid, you worked there. You betcha, yeah. All right, so JR, I love it. You told me how you got started. But take me back to how your father got started, how the family got started, that first motel, and how we transitioned.
1: Sure. So my dad um, you know, has been here since, in the States since the 70s. He had a uh, very successful commercial printing company in Chicago, which he started in the late 70s. Uh, ran and operated, did nothing else. Early 90s, sort of post-RTC, he had a broker friend of his say, you know, goes by Mike, Mike, um, I've got this great you know, hotel deal. If you're interested, it's in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, if you're willing to put up the equity, I'll operate it for you. And so said, okay, you know, let me go check it out. He closed his print shop up and, and flew down there, uh, random weeknight got in at 10 o'clock at night, spent the night, walked around the hotel, didn't know what he was doing. Full service, 100 room, Best Western uh, in Montgomery, Alabama. The property's still around, you know, noon the next day left and he calls his broker friend and says, okay, let's buy it. So got an SBA loan and I f- actually found his loan documents a few months ago <laughs> at some you know, egregious double digit percentage rate, closed on it, took it over, went down there, met the sellers and his friend took over and operated it for a you know, number of six weeks, eight weeks, and a couple of months. And he calls him and says, Mike, um, I'm going to leave the keys to the property under the silk plant in the lobby. So when you come in, you know, empty the safe, do the deposit, you know, write the paychecks, see what you got to do. So what are you talking about? Where are you going? He's like, I can't run this place. I'm out. And so here's your mom and dad running their little print shop in Chicago and put their life savings into a business that they knew nothing about. And so he, my my dad hangs a phone up and he walks into my mom's office and says, this is the call I just got. What are we going to do? And my mom looks at him and says, we're not going to do anything. You're going to fly down there and learn how to run a hotel. And so he flew down, taught himself the business, loved it so much. 18 months later, he bought another one. And it bit him.
0: Things we would never do today.
1: Absolutely not. Absolutely not.
0: I'm not saying your wife would divorce you, but- (laughs) if you said, I'm leaving to go run a hotel six days away, I know her, she wouldn't be too happy with you.
1: It is a uh, gutsy move, to say the least. Uh, Learned everything on the job, but I think those early days really taught him that he has to have great people, processes, set an expectation, get a result, and that was the the fundamentals that I grew up on. It's it's, you have to have some type of structure, and this was long-distance calls were still two bucks a minute. There was no high-speed internet. There was barely dial-up service. Used to get his reports faxed to him daily on the old thermal coil faxes and uh, grew up watching the struggles. And to this day, this is really ridiculous, but his cell phone number is still in Alabama area code. He took out a cell phone with a local number, so it was in the long-distance call, and he still has the same number to this day.
0: That is awesome. That's the best story I've heard. I love that. And then, for kicks, tell me you showed up and uh entered the business and immediately sold the hotel (laughs) that was my
1: first first asset i sold i cut my teeth uh and actually both of those properties and he actually i got my start in the business because he said i can't get rid of he had one left he's like i can't get rid of this thing don't know what to do with it i'll cut you a deal if you figure out how to sell it i'll roll the proceeds into another deal and i'll give you a part of it it's great and he wasn't able to sell it for three or three and a half years. I sold it in four months and I'm like, get whatever you can get. Let's let's move on. Yeah, motivation. Absolutely right. He he knew uh, which carrot the dog wanted and uh, <laughs> and I ran with it. So but that that was the start of it. And we just kept buying and selling, buying and selling. And there we are today.
0: So your kids going to work at the hotel?
1: No, absolutely not. <laughs> Go get the law degree that I didn't get. Go do what you want to do. Um, it's a difficult industry uh it's a difficult industry and I think business in general unless you have the willingness to take those punches and and problem solve and get up it it takes a lot it's a it's a heavy toll on a person and I think times are changing so quickly people are changing so quickly there is uh you know I've had friends who ventured into the business world in general and who decided to leave and just say I want to be a professional and 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 ask my opinion to say, you were kind of at this fork in the road at some point in your personal professional career and you picked one over the other, why? And they chose the opposite direction and I gave them my two cents in it. They gave me theirs and we're still good friends, but I would not encourage the next generation to, uh, nothing against hospitality, uh, to directly jump into business the way we did. Formally learn it, learn the industry, get in it, learn from the ground up, you know, don't make the same mistakes we did where we had to learn on the job.
0: Um, Yeah. I mean, there's so much to unpack there. I mean, we've been talking even again about the industry. Is it the right industry for everyone to continue to be in? I'm old and I'll ask you, is it the right industry? I'm old enough that I've been here to where I've heard this a couple of generations now. Everyone says how difficult it is. And yet somehow it continues to be an amazing industry that we're in.
1: We're, I hate to use this term, but we're Sometimes we're just deal junkies. <laughs> we're right. looking for, you know, there's there's some next kick, there's some next problem to solve. And I realized that was my kick. You know, there's, a, there's another challenge, another problem to solve. And that's what got me addicted. We always used to say, it's in your blood, it's in your blood. That's how we named the company. You know, it's in your DNA. It's, it's stuck so deep in you. And we don't know why. It's maybe you're a purveyor of an experience. You know, it's, it, it's the intangible.
0: So unpack the name, Helix.
1: It's in, People kept saying, it's in your blood, it's in your blood. I, so somebody said, it's in your DNA one day. I said, well, it's, what's your DNA made out of it? The double helix. So
0: we decided to roll it out that way. You are such a nerd. That's incredible. Oh, absolutely.
1: I 100% agree. <laughs> <laughs> ah,
0: that's incredible. All right, so tell, tell me what struggles you're dealing with right now as a as a hotelier, whether it's operations, whether it's development, whether it's inflation. Tell me what struggles you're working with. All of with. the above.
1: Check, check, check. Um, you know, operations uh, I think are getting better day by day. Labor concerns, market by market are all over the place, but who doesn't and which industry doesn't is really the question. I think it's figuring out and understanding that people have changed what, what the workforce wants today is different than they wanted three, four, five years ago. Uh, and our industry frankly has a bit of a PR challenge ahead. We sold people on the idea that you could build a career and you can start out as a room attendant and be a GM Oh, you know, through the course of your career. And this is one of the few industries you can do that. And it, when it became too expensive or too inconvenient for us, we told them goodbye. And that's the frank reality It's it, we really have to rebuild that trust in people.
0: Yeah, we uh, you hit the nail on the head. We've been a major people industry. We still are. Yeah. But I agree somewhere in there, we we abandoned them.
1: I think from a development inflation perspective, uh, we're running into pretty much every challenge. If it's I can't get a container from around the world at a reasonable cost, I can't get it off a ship. And here, uh, if you can get a GC to come and do a job, they can't get a sub to show up with the right crew. You're getting you're running into challenges every step of the way.
0: Do you think, at the risk of putting words in your mouth, do you think that the the struggles and the challenges with our industry are also what make it amazing and give us the opportunity in our industry, because not everyone can do it.
1: Absolutely, and I think we're seeing that from, um, from a few different perspectives. We're seeing folks sort of mature out of, maybe I shouldn't say mature out of, but maybe exit out of multifamily and come into hospitality or vice versa. Um, and so there's a lot of folks who are sitting, if you're in our industry, you should probably be well capitalized um and if you haven't learned that over the last two and a half years you probably are putting yourself in a better position now but the the hope is that you know folks coming in folks going out there's always going to be eyes on it but i think there's in an up market in a down market or in a stagnant market there are always opportunities and it's just being able to carve out what makes sense for you and matches your risk profile and that's the beauty but there always will be
0: talk me about development how much development do you guys do
1: very little. Uh, we're right. heavy. We're, we're now getting into so the last eighteen months has been acquiring parcel and parcels, strictly because we know we need to pivot in certain markets where we've seen really resilient performance through the pandemic. That's a that's a market we want to double down in.
0: So you're more market specific than brand or asset specific.
1: I would say seventy five percent brand, twenty five percent market. Okay. Uh, you know, okay. We've gotten a little uh, you know, narrow on who we want to work with. And I think it's because we kind of have tooled or machined our tools and our processes to working with those brands. Uh, we know what they're going to expect. And they know what we can perform. And and that's been a beautiful relationship to to grow
0: and foster. I got to ask what brands, who do you like? I think our top two
1: portfolio wide are, are Hilton and Marriott. I mean, nothing, nothing different there uh, from, from the but vast. Within, but
0: within those brands
1: oh wow okay now we're happy Pamela. shots fired okay um i think within Marriott, i really like both the three uh fairfield the spring hill and the residence and brands those are all in our portfolio we really like them um great product and great following particular in resi awesome following i um, mean hampton is the gold standard and home tour the gold standards in, in hilton uh, great product great following great you know good culture within the brand itself. We love it. People are easy to work with or, or more willing and apt to come to the table and have dialogue. And that's really difficult in, within other brands. And, and we've naturally you know, started to tailor our portfolio towards those who will have dialogue and away from those who won't, or the machine is too large. It's difficult.
0: And I, again, I'm assuming you've got to a point where you think, you know, a lot about what you're doing, so you have a lot of confidence in your thoughts. I like to think I do.
1: <laughs> no, I, I think we do. Uh, I think we know what we're walking into when we when we acquire, or now on the development side. But it's also a matter of our reputation. Right, we, we've been fortunate enough to have performed well on so many of these big turnaround type deals, where we can walk in and say, I think. Um, you know, a, B, and C are gonna cost X, Y, and Z, or whatever that might be, or, or you know, these requirements are gonna deem X license term. I think we have that confidence to be able to walk in, and we've had it for, for a number of years, but we've also built a reputation within these brands for doing big, ugly projects that nobody else wants to do, that the, that the major developers don't wanna do uh, You know, 21-year reno, we're happy to. The 20-year-old box isn't necessarily obsolete we can push life into it and uh, create a phenomenal product for us or for the next guy. Why not?
0: All right. I got, I got two more questions. Uh, The first is about operations we've hit on before, but we're, it's a real problem now. And part of what we're seeing is I I think you got to make the decision to sort of be all in or all out. And you're in a little bit of that no man's land, right? Who we're talking about, right? Only 10 assets. So I'm not saying you can't be successful at it, but are you going to continue just, continue to operate and operate your assets as you've done in the past and as the industry has done in the past, or do you ever see yourself cycling out of it?
1: I think we're gonna continue on our path. Um, We're comfortable with the markets we operate in. You know, we've actually expanded our above property, our corporate team through the pandemic because we rely on them and we know that they're needed so much more. Uh, And it gives us frankly, the platform to be able to grow. The hired gun is great. Uh, but we still have to asset manage. So, where does that line between time and energy and cost and asset management and true third party uh, make sense? And maybe if it's fifty assets and you know we're at that point, fantastic. I think we're a number of years away from being there. Yeah. Uh, we're but uh, for the time being, I think we're going to carry on and, and, and having a good, strong, consistent team. I mean, knock on wood, we've had zero turnover. Everyone stayed stuck with us and, and stayed on and we continue to grow and bring on more assets and build. And I think that momentum just sort of proves that we're still here, we're healthy and we're going to keep going. And, and folks appreciate that. They haven't been pushed out. They haven't been treated like a number and it's still a, it's still a growing enterprise. And that's the key thing.
0: All right. Final question. Give me your outlook for 22. It was
1: very optimistic until you know, three or four weeks ago, uh, maybe two or three weeks ago at this point. I- I'm still quite optimistic. I think uh, January and February were soft as expected. Um, I would pin it if I had to give a comparison, very close to 2019's numbers uh, for us, or at least our portfolio in our markets. Uh, costs from a top line, bottom line, no idea. Absolutely no idea.
0: <laughs> no, no one does. No that, one does. That's right. You got to keep raising rate, though. That's the we're rate's going to get us out of this.
1: Rate's going to get us out, and in, in keeping integrity, market by market. I think the first uh, move for a lot of folks is drop rate and bring in occupancy. That doesn't work. The rate integrity is the number one thing. Uh, and the second, I think, a big emphasis needs to be put on product integrity and product quality. Because it, it, we're all worn out. We're all tired. Our assets are as well. There's going to be a point where we need to, we're not talking about major refreshes here, but we need to pump a little bit into the asset. If we're asking for a substantially higher rate, the, the product needs to keep up with it. And it's, it, it, it's going to come. And if we don't ask for it or we don't do it, it's going to be given to us.
0: I think you're right. All right, wait, final, final question. How many deals yeah. are you going to do this year and where are they going to come from? Uh, all
1: from you, Um, (laughs) you know, we're shooting, I think, uh, including the one we just signed, uh, probably three uh, on the hospitality side, maybe four, but I mean, we have certainly have the capacity to, to do more. Uh, but I think again, patient capital. So if the deals are great and we have a port, you guys send a portfolio of six, we're taking them
0: again. I'll compliment you. You guys have carved out a really nice niche. Uh, of where you are. Again, you're not sort of going to top 25 MSAs, although you're not afraid of them. You're not buying the brand new shiny whatever, uh, although you would, but that's very competitive. You're finding your little spots and you're being very targeted. When you find it, then you go all in and you guys get aggressive uh, with not in front of money and you do what you say you're going to do. Again, selfishly from our perspective, uh, we, we need to look good to our client. Every, you guys want to look good so that we come back to you. Yeah. And 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 it rinse and repeat. I also want to ask, you're in Chicago. Yeah. How many hotels do you own in Chicago? Zero. Exactly. In Why the not? State of
1: Illinois? Zero. And I and I say that uh with a little bit of fire. Arrogance, arrogance and fire. Um, it is a, a difficult state from a tax perspective, from yeah. a from a legal and operating perspective. Um great hotel people here, though. That's the irony. Yes. Phenomenal hotel people. I mean, you have great properties, beautiful Chicago downtown historic assets. You have people like Michael Jacobson running Illinois Hotel Lodging Association. Awesome, phenomenal industry. It was just, uh, we just didn't find our niche here. And we just weren't able to find the blue chip markets that we wanted to be in, where we saw consistency and growth and trajectory.
0: Uh, JR, I love your spirit. Uh, I love your energy. You got a great outlook on our industry and you've done an incredible job with what you guys are doing. So keep it up. Thank you for coming on with me today. Thanks for doing this. Uh, And I'll see you soon. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.